as well. But take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, we have been looking at songs of joy this Christmas, Psalm 32, 33, and 34, but it is always Psalm 34 that seems to get the most attention. It is filled with some very familiar verses and some wonderful truths, some wonderful promises, and wonderful invitation to us. If you were to read all of Scripture from beginning to end, and you were to read it carefully, you would notice a continual connection between announcements and invitations. You would find that even as you read the prophets, the prophets are coming to bring news. They are coming to bring information. They are coming to announce something. But it is never just an announcement. It is always an invitation. Here is what God says. Now here is the call for you to respond. And the reason this is true is because in the very heart of God, there is a longing for you personally to not only know the truths about him, but to experience personally the truths about him. We see this in the Christmas story. In Luke 2, it tells us that the angels filled the sky and they not only came to bring an announcement, they came to bring an invitation. They did bring an announcement. For behold, today in the city of David is born to you a savior who is Christ the Lord. The announcement was made, God in the flesh has arrived. But there was also an invitation And you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. There was an invitation for them to not only know the truth, but to experience the truth. Think about this connection in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus shows up and the first thing he says is this. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because the king has shown up. And the king has come to bring in the kingdom, the long-awaited promise of the king coming to usher in a kingdom. And Jesus says, this is it. The kingdom of God is at hand. And immediately after that announcement, he gives an invitation. So repent and believe. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he was doing this. He's saying, I am the living water, so come to me and drink. I am the bread of life, so come to me and eat. Follow me because I am the way. Trust in me because I am the truth. Give yourself fully to me because I am the life. There's this connection between announcements and invitation. And that really is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not fully presented unless there's an invitation given. The announcement is this. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the punishment for our sin is death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God in a literal hell. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and it is possible for all of our sins to be forgiven, for us to experience the fullness of life if we come to Christ. And the invitation is this. So call upon the name of the Lord. You can be saved. It is one thing to hear the announcement, it is another to receive the invitation. The reason God gives us news is because he's always inviting us into something. And that is exactly what is happening in Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is a psalm of joy, but more than that, it is an invitation. It is David giving his own personal testimony about the goodness of God. And every single verse is telling us something about God and how good he is and all that he has to offer us and all that he wants us to know. And yet it's an invitation for us to move beyond hearing it and knowing it to experiencing it. 
And so every week as we come together in a moment like this, part of my responsibility is to give you news and announcements to open up this and give you truth. But another part of it is to invite you to experience that truth for yourself. Because God's desire is not for you to simply know the facts and hear the news, but to experience the fullness of it. That's what Psalm 34 is doing. It is David saying, let me tell you about what God has done in my life. Let me tell you about how I've experienced the goodness of God. And then let me plead with you to come and to know it for yourself. It is an invitation summarized in eight words found in verse eight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the invitation. The announcement is this. God is good. He's better than you imagined. He has more for you than you can ever imagine. Everything your heart longs for. All that desire in your heart for good. God has placed that in your heart. And the invitation is this. Why don't you come and taste? And why don't you see for yourself that God is good? Now the interesting thing about Psalm 34. It is one of just a few Psalms that gives us the exact context in which it was written. Look above verse 1. You'll see a little prescript there. Where it says this, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, this is referring to a little story in 1 Samuel 21 that is one of the rather more strange stories in the Old Testament. David was becoming well known because of his military victories. The problem is, is he wasn't king, Saul was king. And everywhere David would go and Saul would go, people would begin to sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul, who was already filled with jealousy and envy, hated this. And every time he heard it, he was more resolved to kill David. And so all throughout this episode of David's life, he's running for his life from King Saul, who is consumed with anger and resentment and had committed himself to kill David. So one day, David was running for his life from Saul, and he ran to the city of Gath in order to be saved. Now, that's a very odd choice because everyone in Gath also wanted to kill David. The reason is this. Do you remember that story with David and the giant? You remember that one? Uh, David was visiting his brothers on the front lines, and they were just standing there doing nothing. And the reason is, is because on the other side was this giant named Goliath. He was taunting the people. He was saying, listen, if any one of you guys will come out and fight me and you beat me, we'll all be your servants. But if we beat you, we're going to destroy you and annihilate you. And no one would volunteer. Strangest thing. And here's David, this young boy who walked to bring some food to his brothers. And he inquired, he said, what's going on here? Why is no one going to fight this giant? To which his brother said, would you just be quiet and go back home and watch your sheep? But David, filled with faith and the zeal of the Lord, took his slingshot and went and stuck a stone right here in Goliath's forehead. And then took Goliath's own sword. This is such a sweet victory. Chopped his head off with it, held up his head and stole his sword. That's the best part of the story. Goliath was from Gath. Everyone in Gath knew David. He had humiliated them. Goliath was their crown jewel. He was their, their one secret weapon. And a little boy named David destroyed him. And now here David comes back, most likely holding Goliath's sword, running for his life. He finds himself in a rather difficult circumstance. The people of Gath find out that David is there and they go and tell the king, David is here, to which the king is excited because he has not uh, been able to sleep until he could destroy David. 
David doesn't know what to do, so he prays, and he says, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm trapped. And I don't, know, I don't know how the Lord gave him this idea, but here's what he did. He began to drool. And he let the drool come all the way down his beard and to drip off of his beard. And then he went to the gates of the city and he got on his knees. He began to claw at the gate of the city in order to appear insane. So they went and got the king. The king saw David. And here was the king's response to his men. Do I not have enough crazy people for you to call me out? I understand that. Do you not have enough crazy people for you to call me out and see this guy? David convinced them that he was insane. And David escaped completely unharmed. And it was out of that exact circumstance that David wrote Psalm 34. David called upon the name of the Lord. He was delivered in a strange way, but still delivered. And he's so filled with joy. He's so filled with excitement. He's so overwhelmed by the fact that when he cried to the Lord, the Lord heard him and delivered him. And he can't help but to give testimony that God is so good. And that's what he invites us into in Psalm 34. If you're there this morning at Psalm 34, say amen. Look as I read it for us. David says as he leaves Gath, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. What he means by that is deep inside of my gut, I'm feeling it. I'm overwhelmed by God's goodness. I cannot help but to praise the Lord. So let the humble hear it and be glad. Listen to this invitation. So magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, David said, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. But it's not just for me. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, David said, and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all of his troubles. But David says, this isn't just for me. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Who is it that wants a good life? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And listen to this good news. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The reason there is so much joy in this passage, the reason the tone has so much celebration to it, is because David has not just heard that God is good, he, he just saw it. In his own life, he experienced the goodness of God. You know, Ryan and I were talking last week, we ended the service last week by singing this song about the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. We were talking about the fact that we don't ever remember a song. I don't ever remember a song in my entire ministry that seemed to stir up more emotion among people than that song. 
And Ryan was talking to me. I, I'm usually up here during the invitation, but I was down there. And Ryan said that as we were singing it, he was commenting on how many people just were, were declaring this truth with their hands raised. They were just saying, God, all of my life you've been faithful. And all of my life you've been so, so good. And you know the reason is because those are people that have seen it for themselves. They haven't just heard the news. They can recount moments like David did. And we said, let me just tell you this story. Let me tell you how God delivered me. Let me tell you how God healed me. Let me tell you how God helped me. Let me tell you something. God is good. And I know it. Because I went through this and I was faithful and I called upon the Lord. And I have experienced his goodness. And what David longs for and what we get here from David is the very heart of God. Is for you not only to hear the truth from me that God is good. Not only hear the testimony from David that God is good, but that you yourself would have your own songs to sing and your own stories to tell because the goodness of God is real to you. And that's the invitation. Oh, taste. And you will see that God is good. So this morning, I want us to meditate a bit on this invitation. Hearing David's testimony And then receiving the goodness of God ourselves by tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. So what is exactly this invitation to taste and see the Lord is good? Well, let me tell you. The first thing is this. This is an invitation to personally experience the goodness of God. Write that down. It is an invitation to personal experience. That you yourself would experience God's goodness. I love the fact that David uses this word, taste. Jesus does this all the time. He'll say, come and eat of me. Come and drink of me. And the reason is, is because it really is a word that can only be experienced. This is not a call to know something. Any of you can know or to hear something. It's beyond that. Tasting is something that's really not good described as it is personally experienced. You just can't explain taste. It's something that has to be experienced. Uh, I used to, on a regular basis, in the previous place that we lived, stop uh, most mornings for a cup of coffee. As I was coming to work, I would turn out of our neighborhood, and there was a place right on the corner that had great coffee. And I went so often, they knew me, and not only did I like their coffee, but they would often give me a free cookie. So win-win. So uh, I would go in, and they always had three options for coffee. They had a strong, a medium, and a light roast. And they all had the names of the coffee, but under the names, they had little definitions of the coffee. So one would say bold and rich. One would say balanced and nutty. One would say subtle and earthy. And I would walk in in the mornings and think, how am I feeling today? I think, well, I polished my shoes this morning. I have on my annual tie. I got to be honest, I'm feeling a little bold and rich. I got on my cowboy boots and my jeans this morning. I got to be honest, I'm feeling a little subtle and earthy today. It really didn't help you know what the coffee tasted like. It was more of a description of how you feeling today. What do you want to fill your body with? And bold and rich is a good way to go. So I would often go with that. But the reality is those descriptors were actually quite comical. And if you pick up any bag of coffee, it's going to say something full-bodied. What is a full-bodied coffee? The reality is, if you want to know what the coffee tastes like, you know what you have to do? You have to taste it. You have to taste it for yourself. Taste is something very personal. What tastes good to you may not taste good to somebody else. It's like the difference in reading the ingredients 
and eating the food. Now, some of you have gotten good at this because you've cooked so long, you're able to hear ingredients and know for yourself, oh, that's gonna be delicious. Uh, Let me try this for you this morning. Think about this, here's the ingredients. Skim milk, milk fat, palm oil, lactose, egg whites. Hold on, it's about to get more delicious. Soy lecithin, and here you go, natural flavors. You know what that is? That's a Snickers. Now there is a difference in a handful of peanuts, Snickers satisfies, taking a bite of Snickers and you hearing me describe the ingredients. I doubt any of you hearing the ingredients started to just slive, like it's just coming, like you're just, this is unbelievable, I've got to have that. None of that, but man, is a Snickers good. Now let me tell you something. Every Sunday, you know what I do? I get up here and I read you the ingredients. I open this book and I just tell you verse by verse how good the Lord is and I explain it to you. And then I give you testimonies from my life and I give you testimonies from the life of David and I try to explain to you what this is like and I give you these descriptors of God. But let me tell you something, none of that will ever take the place of your own personal experience of God. He will always be distant. You will always look at me with a blank stare when I preach if you don't have your own stories of God's goodness. And the reality is God is inviting you in. This idea of tasting is God saying, I've got things for you that are only for you. I've got good works that I've created before the foundation of the world for you to walk in them, but you will never know them unless you yourself come for personal experience of God. To some of you, God is facts. To some of you, God is a story. To some of you, God is how I describe him on Sunday morning. The reality is Psalm 33, 3 says that the Lord wants you to sing a new song. And the reason is because it's God's desire for you to have new experiences for him day after day. So that you have your own stories to tell about how God delivered you and God saved you and God helped you and God protected you. This is an invitation into your own personal experience of God. David just wants us to be hungry for it. He just wants us to know it because he experienced it. And those who experience it long for others to experience. This is an invitation for you to have personal experience with a real living good God. This is also an invitation, not only to personal experience, but it is an invitation to actively pursue him. In actively pursuing him, you will come to know his goodness. The truth is, is why is it that David experienced so much of God's goodness and maybe you have experienced less? Why is that? Well, the truth is all of us have experienced goodness to some degree. We we, we are all recipients of God's grace. The fact that you're here this morning, you had a means to get here, you're gonna get something to eat today. Everything points to the goodness of God. But there are some like David who seem to have so many stories about how God intervened in their life and so many stories about the good things that they've experienced. And I'm not just talking about things that we possess, I'm talking more than that. Ways in which God has demonstrated to us that he loves us and cares about us. And I would say the reason David has those stories is because David pursued God. The truth is, there's something about tasting that demands you do something. This is a command. You can't passively taste. There's a requirement for you to step into this. 
I have five children, which means I've spent a good part of my life begging people to eat things. I've had certain children that were more difficult than others to try to convince to eat things. I'm looking over at my kiddos over there. I have to believe that uh, those children with the strongest will who absolutely refuse to eat something, God is going to use that to do something great in their lives. They're going to be strong for Jesus and all those things. But in that moment when you're trying to get them to eat something, this is really exhausting. I have one child who I love so dearly, who I knew if I said, you're not going anywhere until you eat this. I knew the moment I said it, I was going to lose. Now, that may be more of a testimony of my weakness than her strength, but all I'll tell you is this. I knew that about 10 o'clock, I was going to bed, and I don't care what she did. And she would have stayed there till 10 o'clock the next night. And I still said it, but I just kind of always knew that I don't think I'm going to win this battle. And I would say, but it's got cheese, and you like Cheetos. And it just never worked. And the reality is, is that tasting is something you have to do. You have to taste. And so the invitation is for you to do something. It's not just to believe something. It is for you to actually take this step of faith to go in with Jesus to believe that it actually is good. Jesus is saying, you're going to like this. You're going to love me. You're going to enjoy me. But you must come close and taste. Think about the way that this works. See, on one hand, everything we have, everything we have is a gift of the Lord. You don't have anything that you've earned. But yet the way in which God has chosen to work is this, is that God is withholding certain things from you until you will actively choose to pursue him. There are things that God wants to give you that he will never give you unless you go after them. Listen to what it says in Matthew 7. Jesus says this, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be opened. You realize there are things that God wants to give you that he will never give you unless you ask. There are prayers he wants to answer that he will not answer unless you ask. There are doors he wants to open that he will not open unless you knock. There are things he wants you to find that you will never find unless you seek. One of the key verses of my life has been Luke 6, 38, where it says, give and it shall be given unto you. And then it says this, according to the measure that you give, it will be measured back to you. And I always think about measuring cups as I'm giving. So if I fill up a, a teaspoon and drop it in, then the Lord says, according to the measure you give, it will be measured back to you. If you take a tablespoon or a fourth cup or a half cup or a cup or a huge Pyrex, whatever else, you just dump it in. The Lord says, according to the measure you give, it will be given back to you. And I'm just telling you, I, by God's grace, I made a commitment early in my life, and Andrea and I did, that we were going to believe that that's true. And we were going to give, and we were going to give, and we were going to give when it didn't make sense. And I can tell you right now, I could literally stand here all day and tell you stories of the way in which God has provided for us time and time again. Why? Because there were things that God wanted to give us that he wasn't going to give us unless we gave. <laughs> and I just, I, I'm pleading with you. To have your own stories, to by faith step into giving, give generously and sacrificially. Why? Because according to the measure you give, it will be measured back to you. The question is this, do you believe that? Do you believe that if you give, there are certain things that God will give you that you will only get unless you give? Do you actually believe that there are things that God wants to do in your life that he will not do unless you begin to seek and ask and knock? 
If God were to show you the storehouse of all the things he would like to reveal to you and show you and do in your life, you would be absolutely overwhelmed. And yet God is saying, come and get it. There is more of God than you can ever handle. He said, I want you to taste and I want you to see the Lord is good. I'll tell you what, my, one of my biggest concerns every Sunday is that you might come here every week thinking that this is your weekly dose of Jesus. That you would feast all week on junk food and think that this salad somehow that I give you on Sunday morning is gonna make up for all the junk that you ate during the week. You know it doesn't work that way, right? You're living this right now. We're all living this right now, right? This time of year. You can't eat junk all week and think one salad is gonna make up for all the junk. You know this, but you still do this. I'm gonna, have a, I'm gonna just have a salad today. Listen to me. What God is saying to you is he's saying, I, I want you to feast daily. I want you to come to me daily. You can't fill your mind with junk every night and wake up in the morning and hope to be walking with Jesus. You can't sleep a little later, ignore your time with Jesus and hope that you're gonna experience throughout the day all the things that God wants to give you. He's inviting you in. He's saying, don't let Sunday morning be the little bit of Jesus you get. Go after Jesus, seek him, know him, walk with him. And that's exactly what David is saying. He is talking to us and inviting us in. And he says, like in verse nine, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. To fear the Lord means to walk in obedient devotion to him. Give him your heart. Look at verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Look what it says in verses 13 and 14. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. But look at the verse before that in verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? He appeals to this desire we have in our hearts to live long, to prosper, to, to experience the goodness of the Lord. And then he says this, if you want to experience the goodness of the Lord, this, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit, turn away and do good. I put three words right here in my Bible beside verses 13 and 14. I put integrity, honesty, and purity. Integrity, honesty, and purity. The Lord says, do you want to experience my goodness? Walk in integrity, walk in honesty, and walk in purity as you strive for those things. And he says, you will find me, and in finding me, you will experience all the goodness that I want you to experience. So this is an invitation to personally experience him. It is an invitation to go after him and to pursue him, believing by faith he's better. But finally, it's also an invitation to be fully satisfied in him. This is an invitation to have the greatest longings of your heart fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. Every one of us has longings in our heart for something. What I want to say to you is God has placed those longings in your heart to draw you to him. And the life of a believer is a life of living by faith in believing that what Jesus has to offer us is better than what anything else can offer us. And to come to him moment by moment in order that the cravings of our soul might be satisfied. Because here's what I love about these eight words in verse eight. David makes a guarantee and I can make it to you as well. If you will taste, you will see that the Lord is good. That's a guarantee. 
If you will taste, if you will go after your own experience of God, if you will seek him and come close to him, walk in integrity and honesty and purity, you will see that the Lord is good. He will pour himself out on you. He will open the storehouses of all the things that he wants to give you and all that he wants to reveal to you and all that he wants to show you and he will pour them out. I think about the times in which God as a pastor has called me into seasons of fasting. And what I've experienced in fasting is this simple truth. There are certain things that God wants to say to me and want to show me, but I only get them when I fast. And I think it's because the Lord is saying this. Listen, I've got tons of stuff I want to say to you, but do you want it or not? Like if you want it, come get it. There has to be something in our part that says, I believe that God has more for us and I'm gonna step into it by getting more serious about my relationship with the Lord because I believe that there's something so good and so satisfying there. But instead, what we tend to do is just feast on the junk of the world and wonder why our hearts are never satisfied. It's because Jesus alone can fully satisfy our hearts. The truth is, the way we come to Christ and the way we walk with Christ is the same. Let me say this and I'll be done. The news is that you need Jesus. And your life's never gonna make sense without Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You either believe that or you don't. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Everything you need is found in Jesus. And the way in which you respond to him the first time is say, I believe that Jesus has everything I need. And so by faith and trust, I give my life to him and I choose to follow him. Let me tell you something. Every single day for the rest of your life, you make the exact same decision. The exact same decision. You didn't make a decision once and don't make it again. If that's true, then you didn't really make a decision. Because the decision is to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I believe that Jesus is better and so I'm gonna go after him. I believe that if we give, God gives back and I'm gonna give. I believe if we seek him, we'll find him, so I'm gonna seek him. I believe if I knock, the door will be open, so I'm gonna knock. Every day we simply walk in the same faith we were saved with. The faith to believe that Jesus is the only satisfying reality of life. We step into it every single moment by pursuing him. Church, my, my greatest ambition for you is that you would know the fullness of everything God has for you. But you have to taste for yourselves. And I believe if you do, you will see that the Lord is good. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.